Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week's movies are Labyrinth and The Dark Crystal. For those who think David Bowie is sexy, join the club. For those who think golflings are sexy, stay at least 50 yards away from the schoolyard. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. In a leather jacket. (laughs) In in several different pairs of clothing. But the leather jacket is how you know he's cool. It's like Tom Hardy walking with his head down. Tom Hardy walking with his head down in a different set of clothing. Tom Hardy laying down. Tom Hardy laying down with his eyes open. Tom Hardy laying down with his eyes open while screaming. And then Tom Hardy running in various scenarios. Yeah, but did you notice he had that 5 o'clock shadowy type beard? So that's how you know he's a little bit mysterious. Ooh, yeah. So don't act like this movie isn't going to deliver everything you want. <sighs> I don't. I'll, I'll tell you what. Uh, a movie about Venom that doesn't even give you the slightest peek at Venom, not a good sign. <laughs> it's not good. It's not a good start for me. We just don't understand how you make a Venom movie without an incorporation of Spider-Man in any shape or form. There's a rumor that somehow Tom Holland's in it, but they never show him as Spider-Man. It's Peter Parker, that Peter which, Parker is in the movie. Which makes it even worse. Like, that's worse than having involvement with Spider-Man. Actually, I would accept it if it's all just the no, origin it's worse. story. It's worse. Because, because Eddie Brock's whole vendetta is kind of just against Peter Parker, so if they're trying to ignore the whole Spider-Man part of it. I just don't see how they're going to make those two characters like rivals when... Yeah. I just don't. I can't imagine putting them on screen together and they're having like an argument over who gets credit for what picture or whatever. And you're just like, um, you just don't seem like you'd be interacting. My well, assumption fact, is that he doesn't actually bond with the symbiote whatsoever. My assumption is that Venom is going to be suspiciously like Agent Venom, even though apparently the filmmakers once again don't fucking understand that those are essentially two different fucking characters. <laughs> Yeah. Well, let's not blame the filmmakers right away. Let's blame the studio, yeah. who probably have a plethora of notes and ask really stupid questions that they then have to somehow somehow fit the movie into that that dynamic. I blame whichever person in, that works at that studio that watched the last Spider-Man movie and didn't go, "Yeah, let's." 
let's call Marvel about all the characters we own because they seem to do it way better than us. Like, <sighs> what the fuck? On the other hand, second trailer for Deadpool 2. Uh, oh, awesome. <laughs> I had to watch it three times before I even got the Disney reference in it. I wasn't totally sold on uh, Brolin Cable, but I think I am now. I think it looks all right. Well, once they fixed the CGI and his army looked good before that, it did seem ridiculous. I was, I was on Deadpool's side. Uh, uh, yeah. Having a little Disney reference, which I thought was nice since they're technically going to be owned by Disney soon. The uh, making fun of Superman I thought was hilarious. Uh, How was you guys' day? Uh, much better than yours. Yeah, yeah, mine was pretty fucking miserable. <laughs> oh. I should have been paying more attention to what was going on on Facebook today. <laughs> I don't know what we're talking about. No, uh, my, my, yeah, my girlfriend's cat died. Oh, that sucks. And th- I'll tell you what, that that sucks. The, the bit I didn't put on Facebook this morning about uh, going literally from vet to vet to vet to vet, trying to get somebody to help me with this poor dying cat and keep getting told no, <laughs> that was the worst part of the day. Ugh. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't they do anything? All of them kept saying, well, we're full. And oh, I was like, Jesus. you guys don't have like a single way to see me. It's an emergency. And they were like, well, sure, we have an emergency slot at four. And, but it costs three times as much, basically. And I was like, so, you're going to make me wait until the cat's dead and then trust me three times as much. Um, and then I, I literally went to the, the quote fingers 24-hour uh, emergency thing that they have in Springfield. And it, as it turns out, they shut down from 8 o'clock to, I can't remember, like 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock or something like that. And I got there at 7.30 and they basically said, well, we only have 30 minutes left and that's not enough time to do a full exam. So, no. And I was like... That's not the way fucking businesses work. If, if I fucking... I, I work at the bank answering phones. If it's 450 fucking 9 and somebody calls, I still have to answer the fucking phone and take the call. I don't get to just go talk to them for 30 seconds and then be like, ah, I'm sorry, I can't really finish this call in a minute. <laughs> you're you're going to have to go fuck yourself. <laughs> but you kind of want to do that, don't you? You don't want to, but that's not the way the world works. It's like a restaurant. If somebody comes in one minute to close, you gotta fucking serve them. That's just the way it works. But you had to spit in their food, so. Well, yeah, you spit in which if they had spit in the cat, I would have understood. <laughs> yeah, we'll examine the little fucker and they're spitting up. It's like, don't do that to my cat. Uh, you brought him in too close to close. It's not our fault. Yeah, but it was it was it was pretty miserable. So I finally found a good vet, and then the vet looked at him, and I, like, at first it was bad because he was like, "Well, he's got a mass," and I was like, "Fuck, this cat's got cancer. This is gonna be a big problem." And then he's like, "Well, it's his bladder," and I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, his bladder's swollen because he's got a bladder infection. This is something we could take care of. That's that's not so bad." And then he's like, 
No, <laughs> he's got a bladder obstruction, and he's a fifteen-year-old cat. This is death. Like, and I was like, oh fuck. <laughs> it was it was awful. Yeah, that's a bummer. It's a good way to start your day. Yeah, yeah, it was brutal. Luckily, my cats have agreed they're going to live forever. So, yeah, you know, you know what the weirdest thing is. So we've spent uh, like every weekend. I've been going and searching for a dog, mm-hmm. and we've got real specific needs because you know her daughter's got autism, and we had the old cat. So, so we had to be real picky about the dog. We needed one that could handle those two things, and. Last weekend, I finally found the dog that wasn't going to kill the cat. And we pick him up on Saturday, and it's Thursday, and the cat died. Oh, he knew. He's like, fuck this bullshit. I'm out. Yeah. So how was your day, Doug? It, it was fine. <laughs> I got woken up early by kid, went to work, came home, fed the aforementioned kid. Has your kid gotten to the uh, naked stage yet? No. Uh, Me and Noah actually went and saw Brian Poussain perform. (laughs) Like a good half an hour about how his kid just wants to be naked. But his kid also likes to climb all over him so he gets teabagged all the time. Yeah, I I had a buddy whose kid was like he would basically do exactly what you're describing. And I, so I'd like walk in the house and I'd have to like hold the kid off until he at least had underwear on. Cause it was just too weird. <laughs> yeah. Just tries like, to jump in your arms and it. just like push him. You're like, no, yeah, like, no, I don't want to see those. My, my, one of my friend's son, whenever he was between the ages of two and disturbingly late, I, I would say five would just, You'd be watching TV or something, and he'd wander off, and then he would just come back in the room completely naked, <laughs> and then do something weird, like like get up on the coffee table right in front of you and like thrust his weird little kid penis at you, and you'd be like, ah, <laughs> get away! What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> my uh, my buddy's kid, the one that likes me naked, he would also like to escape the house, and occasionally the two would be combined. So one time, I was, one time I was on my way over to their like condo unit to visit, and as I pull up and I park in the visitor parking, I'm walking towards the house, and just out of the corner of my eye, I'm like, there's a naked kid on that swing set over there. <laughs> so I go over there, and there's the kid. So I'm like, oh, this is awkward, but I'm going to be the guy that walks into a park and picks up the naked baby. <laughs> and I carry him back to his house, and his mom's running around looking for him, and I'm like, he's out at the park. Go. <laughs> Put some pants on him, please. <laughs> Uh, you're a good person, Doug. Well, what in the world? Should we actually talk about some movies, I guess? Yeah, yeah. I feel so, like we, need, we need about four hours for the what is Noah been watching section, so we want to get to big, actually, actually, I haven't, uh, I haven't had time to watch a lot of stuff this week. Uh, I, I was getting ready to say, what do you guys want to talk about first? Uh, David Bowie's penis or Algra's weird pendulous breasts? <laughs> <laughs> well, we should probably go in order. <laughs> I, just, I just want to state for the record that the reason we didn't do a show last week is because Brian was like, do you guys want to 
do the whole, do you guys just want to do the show without me? And I was like, no, because if it's just two of us, then 50% of the talking will be about David Bowie's penis, and I have to cover <laughs> everything else. <laughs> that doesn't seem fair. <laughs> yeah, work obligations. I was not able to uh, to record last week, so I left it up to them to decide. They decided a week off, which is uh, probably what I would have done too, so um, so Noah, since you brought it up, why don't you tell us uh, what the Dark Crystal is all about? Uh, the Dark Crystal is a bizarre story set in a strange land, basically about two opposing forces. We have the uh, the peace-loving, hippie, magic-using uh, mystics, and the creepy bird turtles. <laughs> Notice the Skeksis who want nothing more than to use the foul power of the Dark Crystal to steal Gelfling essence and feed it to the Emperor. Drink his essence! Mm. Uh, along the way, we have a creepy woman with removable eyes with far too detailed nipples for no fucking reason. <laughs> Uh, Which I feel like that that camera just lingers on him. Of course, no uh, zeros in on that. I was going to say he's not he's not wrong, but it's not that much of the movie. I don't know why we're talking about that so detailed. Uh, so, so all of this is basically the uh, the backdrop for our adventure, which stars uh, Stephen and Liv Tyler. To travel and form across the world to repair the dark crystal. You're much more kind than I am. I was going to say it was nice to see Sarah Jessica Parker in one of her early roles. <laughs> really, man, I've always thought the the main Gelfling looks like fucking Steven Tyler so bad. <laughs> Walk this way. Walk this way. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, so this is like the first time I've watched in like 30 years and about the only thing I remembered was uh, the, what's her name that pulls her eyes out Yeah. so everything else is pretty much a surprise to me yeah I'm the same way I had a couple of visuals in my head but I for the life of me couldn't remember anything about the storyline I don't think I'd seen this since probably like 85 or something like it's mm-hmm. a long time ago I, I would I would say arguably or you could say a few other movies but arguably this is the most ambitious uh almost 100% puppetry movie that's ever been made. I I can't think of another one where somebody went that balls to the fucking wall. Uh it is pretty intense. Yeah, I would agree it's with that. One of the things that's yeah, it's one of the things I know is watching both these movies. It's just like you look at it and you're just like, holy shit. Like, I just. It's amazing to me how one person has, like, all this shit in their brain. And I'm going to imagine that it probably ended up on screen just about, like, what it looked like in his brain. Because uh, Jim Henson is just one of those genius people. So, yeah, like, even, even watching this, the room that has. Uh, like the planets on that like that 
machine that like rotates the planets around and shit. Yeah. I was is just that, thinking like Do you believe that's an astrolabe, right? Isn't that what they're called? I don't know, sure. I just remember looking at it and being like, holy shit, like this is 1982, so that means that shit had to actually work. So yep. someone manufactured that and was like, oh yeah, it works just like it's supposed to. Here, I'll turn it on and show it, show, show you so you can see that it does actually, in fact, work. But what's really weird is like that would have been a set piece in like a normal movie. In this movie, it's just like a background thing that's just there. Yeah. It's all for like the one moment where the character like grabs onto it as it's moving and uses it to escape from the weird crab monster things that attack him. And and I would also say while while all of the puppetry and all that kind of stuff is is Jim Henson level, which pretty much means it's the best. Like yeah. you can't compare him to other people. Uh, there's a few things in this that are so fucking mind boggling. Like, the Skeksis' faces, they have really, really fucking realistic abilities to change their facial expressions. Yeah. yeah. Which, I, I, that's just unfucking fathomable Like, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, what's crazy about it is, like, they're, like, these weird, like, turkey-looking things. But, like, real turkeys don't have that kind of facial expression. <laughs> I don't yeah. even know how they were able to humanize something that inhuman so that the facial expressions would actually be able to express what they wanted to express. I couldn't, like, even if you were drawing it, I wouldn't know how, how to do that, let alone for them to have incorporated that into a live-action puppet. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty intense. Like, uh, I don't know. It's just one, it's one of those that, of course, now, like, in 2018, we can look back and be like, you know, oh, man, this was, like, you know, the top of everything. If you were ever going to do anything in puppetry, like this was company to work for, and this was definitely the time to do it. But just at the time, like, I just imagine going to the theater to see this and being like, what the fuck? Like, look at all this crazy shit on screen. That's like, we've been saying like a hundred percent real. Like they had to build all that shit rather than CGI everything. Yeah. And one of the craziest things, if I remember correctly, this movie didn't do well. No, had a soft opening from what I read. That's, yeah. that's what I've read as Which, well. That, that doesn't surprise me at all. That's because fucking humans are awful. How could you <laughs> not fucking see that and go, holy shit, look at what the fuck these people did. Okay, yeah. but I can push back on that really easily, though. And the problem with this movie is that who the hell is this movie for? It's a puppet movie. 80s children. Don't, no way. Even in the 80s, this was not a kid's movie, man. That that witch who has the the piece of the crystal that our main character has to go Aldra? retrieve, she's like straight out of Evil Dead too. The <laughs> removable eyeball, like she does not belong in a kids movie at all, and neither do a lot of the other visuals in this film. Those creepy fucking crab monster things that the Skeksis send oh, out as yeah, like those gave me fucking nightmares as a kid. Yeah, and they would give almost they would give kids nightmares today. I mean, but they should. They're supposed to be scary to kids. Yeah, but there's a line you got to be careful with when you're making kid-friendly movies. Is you want them to be scared in the theater. You don't want them to be scared two weeks later, still pissing their beds. <laughs> and this movie it, is just—it is not like I, I couldn't. 
like you couldn't have like an even maybe even a 10 year old wouldn't be able to enjoy this by the time a kid is old enough to handle the visuals in this they're not going to be interested in puppet movies anymore so the only the only audience for this movie is like nerds in their 30s who host podcasts and are going to be fascinated by the visuals and interested in old movies like it's i, I can't understand I can understand why the artists making these puppets wanted to make them and put them on screen and everything like that. Mm-hmm. What blows my mind is somebody gave the money to make this script with these visuals in it because like, I, I wouldn't, if I was a studio head, I'd go like, no, either go make a kid's movie or with like puppets in it or go make an adult movie with no puppets in it or fewer puppets in it at least because this weird like Lord of the Rings ripoff that you've got going on here, which is all puppet actors but in, in no way, shape, or form is are we going to let children in the theater to see it? I don't see how that's going to work. So, I mean, then, and that's not a criticism of the, of the film as a piece of art, but as a from a marketing perspective, I wouldn't know what to do with this. Uh-huh. I don't know. I, I remember as a kid, I remember this movie, like, like I said, the bug things like scared the shit out of me. And I remember yeah. all were being intense and stuff. But I also remember. This is one of my fucking favorite movies. Like, even back then, I saw this once, and I was like, oh my fucking god, this is so fucking cool. But you acknowledge you're not really a, a mainstream moviegoer. I mean, the traditional, I'm trying to find a nice way to say well, it. Well, I mean, I wasn't exactly fringe cinema whenever I was four. <laughs> no, it's, I wasn't fucking watching Ilsa in my fucking gammy jams. Like, I'm gonna watch cartoons and then I'm gonna watch this. Watch the Jammer Jam? So, Noah, do you think the uh, creators of the Fallout series have watched this movie? With the uh, crazy crab men? Oh, yeah. You know what? I never realized that. Those do look exactly like Murlocs, don't they? Yeah. Or Meyer Lurks. That's whatever the fuck they are. Crab things. Yeah. Realize that. I don't know, and I know that this movie is is ingrained so deeply into my psyche that I do like tend to quote little bits of it. And because even even though this movie's been around for a bajillion years, outside of nerd circles, I feel like it's fairly underwatched. It's not exact. I I would consider it more of a cult film than a yeah. yeah. And that, and, and that yeah, that comes back to what I was saying is like I don't like who would who would you invite over to watch this movie other than a hardcore nerd? Yeah, but I, I would I, argue it wasn't it wasn't a cult film back in the eighties. Like it was just on TV every once in a while, and yeah. But I like I I don't know. It's weird because it's like I, I can definitely see how this film was influential on things that came after it. But I'm mm-hmm. trying to imagine a movie like like the main character was it Jen or whatever his name is. He's clearly designed to look like a kid and to appeal to to children who are then going to follow him on his like hero's journey as he makes his way across this this world and meets all these other characters and everything but if the parents come in the room and the kids are watching this they're going to turn it off so they don't have to deal with the nightmares later and that's well i can i can see how parents would be against kids watching this but once again i think Judging just judging by the body of his work, I'm pretty sure Jim Hansen was always one of those people that were like, just fucking let the kid watch it and they'll fucking process it. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. They'll they'll figure the shit out. Like 
give him a chance. But Jim Henson didn't have to clean the bed sheets when the kids tried to sleep the <laughs> night after watching this. <laughs> Take care of your kids. Yay! <laughs> I'm out. Um, uh, so I'm just reading. The film was apparently banned in several Islamic countries due to content that was deemed sacrilegious. Every Arabic dubbed and Farsi dubbed copy was destroyed by censors. Interesting. I wonder what what specifically was considered sacrilegious. I don't know. I mean, there okay. there is the scenes where they're trying to read through hieroglyphs and stuff like that, but that doesn't seem like it was. Well, there is there is culture. soul draining and essence drinking, and uh, the end of it's a weird pseudo religious almost. Like birth of the world kind of thing. Oh, there's there's a bunch of like mythical stuff that goes on, but I don't know how much, if any, of it could be like. It's not like you would watch this and think like, oh, they're pointing out the flaws in a specific world religion. Yeah, you would think that, but I mean, like the Catholic Church used to burn like storybooks and shit. Because that's good. <laughs> You know, yeah, p- there's no there's no limit to the depths of stupidity whenever it comes to people and God. That's kind of any weird. God. Right, yeah, I'm, so. I'm 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 now realizing that there were like Catholic priests who were protesting against Harry Potter only like ten years ago. Yeah. So in yeah. that in a in a world where that's the case, I guess you go back thirty years ago and they're banning this. Makes sense. Yep. Um. So I got a couple answers for some of our questions. Okay. Uh, apparently, Jim Henson's plan with the film was to get back to the darkness of the original, like Brothers Grimm fairy tales. He felt that children liked the idea of being scared, and that this was a healthy emotional, healthy emotion for them to deal with. Okay, Man. and I, I can see that. I, again, I can understand why. Yeah. Uh, this film is going for that. I just mm-hmm. don't. Um, okay, and then answer number two. The film made slightly over $40 million from a $15 million budget. So it was a success, but maybe critically it wasn't. But um, the problem, the number one problem here, which explains everything. Uh, many parents felt the film was too scary for their children. And it also opened the same weekend as E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Oh, yes. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm a mono with E.T. <laughs> Yeah. So from, from what I read, though, that fifteen million dollar budget was the initial budget, just to clarify, and I think oh, it, yeah. it went way over that. Probably. Um, so, I, I don't think it was as financially successful <laughs> as you're implying. But I mean, yeah, opening up against ET is the obvious explanation. I'm sure everything else did bad that weekend too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and for the six months following. <laughs> Now, now, it sounds like, Brian, You, even though you'd seen it before, you didn't remember very much of it. But what uh, about you? Really. Doug? Oh, Doug? Sorry, did somebody say something to what, me? What, what yeah. about you? How, how well, familiar with this were you? No, not at all. I not I remembered all. the... What, what were they? The Skeksis? I remembered their, the, what they looked like, and I remembered what the main character looked like, and that was about it. I didn't remember yeah. the story at all. I I will honestly say this because this has been an awkward conversation I've had to had so many times in my entire life. 
if ever I am standing in a place and any two people start fighting over something, like the last donut or anything, I will <laughs> randomly go, Dial my stone! <laughs> <laughs> and people will run away and you just take the donut and walk away whistling? Yeah. Well, and everybody goes, what the fuck are you talking about? And I'm like, fuck you guys! Just throw pistols at me! <laughs> Wander off. See, that, that moment in the movie, though, is actually one of the ones where I'm like, if this is an adult movie, those two puppets should fight to the death with the swords that they have in their hands. But then they don't fight to the death. They just chop a stone in half, which is weird in and of itself. But, I mean, that's obviously trying to make it kid-friendly. So... I- I I will say, you know, people are always pointing out in these movies all the weird uh, phallic imagery that ends up thrown around. <laughs> there is nothing worse than that scene because they're literally fighting with giant curved dick-like swords and hitting another large dick-like stone. And after and after each stroke of it, they all like they take the time to stand back and go, "Hmm, <laughs> you see what I did there with that?" Well, I, I don't. I don't. I was going to ask a follow up question, and I don't want to. I did not really pick up on any phallic imagery in that scene, but I seems like we use our penises differently. Because I don't whack things and they go, hey, everybody notice what I just did? Look at how powerful my dick is. I should be the leader. (laughs) Your dick is not as powerful as my dick. Alright, you're making it it weird. This movie's weird enough. We don't need to be in this conversation. Uh, So also apparently there's a rumor that uh, Jim Henson directed the good guy scenes with the Gelflings and the Mystics. And that Frank Oz actually directed the bad guy scenes with the Skeksis and the Garthams. Okay, I can see that. Because they did feel very differently. Yeah. And I I can see that. I can see how they would have divided the work that way. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Um, I don't know. What what else do we want to talk about? This is the problem I find with movies that we really like because it's just sort of like this was awesome, this was awesome. Yeah, there's so many, there's so many cool, like technically cool things in this. I mean, the whole movie is a giant, like technical thing because it's all puppetry. But, but like the death of the emperor, whenever he like collapses in upon himself, yeah, it's one of the coolest fucking things that's ever been put on film. Yeah, you're talking about the first emperor that passes away. Causing yeah, the, 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 yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, the Skeksy emperor who, like, his face, like, collapses and then his body kind of, like, collapses inward underneath the sheets until he's dust. Yeah, it was really cool. And mm. it was just, it, it looked like something out of, like, a like a weird Hellraiser movie. But with this replacing Cenobites. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. I do also like the random line of, oh my god, you can fly? And she goes, of course I can. I'm a girl. <laughs> like, like that just that just justifies everything. Welcome, welcome to fucking fantasy, people. It's just fucking, you can just throw any ad hoc explanation you want. The mo- that moment was pretty funny. I liked the moment where, like, I thought it was really well done. Uh, they t- they kind of do a mind meld thing. So, for in case people haven't watched the movie, like, the lead character Jen meets up with another 
what are they called, elflings or something? Elflings. Yeah, and he thought he was the only one left. He meets up with this other one. They both survived this Skeksy attack on their village years ago, it turns out. But the way we're told that is by them kind of joining hands, and they do this mind melt thing, and their memories combine. And it was a really neat scene, the way it was mm-hmm. done. They're both kind of like talking to each other and telling each other stories, but we're getting those stories visually. And uh, I thought that was extremely well done. It was a surprisingly difficult storytelling technique for a kid's movie, but I think it worked well enough that if you were showing this to kids, they would at least understand that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was really good, too. Um, the interesting thing is my wife has actually never seen this before. And I think that goes back to the E.T. destroyed it, and then, I don't know, either you saw it or you didn't. It was one of those situations. <clears throat> so, and she was actually really getting into it, but she had, like, a horrible day at work. So she was, like, ready to go to bed. So she left, like, halfway through, but she thought all the stuff she saw was really good so far. Well, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> I, have yet, I have yet to meet an adult person. Who, who sees this movie and doesn't kind of go, holy shit, that's, that's yeah. pretty fucking cool. Yeah, yeah. because even, even if you're not into the story, I think the visuals are just amazing to look at. And just knowing, I mean, obviously all of us are movie nerds, so just knowing the amount of work that went into it to make those shots work, and the fact that everybody, I mean, you know, it's Jim Henson, like we said before, if you were going to work anywhere at this point, it was going to, you wanted to work with Jim Henson. So his company, of course, was the best of the best. But having everybody work together so well, puppeteering, like, is amazing. Like, you just look at those scenes where, because I think some of the trivia said that, you know, this is one of the rare movies. Um, at the time it was made, it was hailed as the only live action film in which a human character makes no appearance with the exception of some wide shots of the Gelflings walking. Um, and it was... So if you just think about that, and everybody's covered either in giant puppetry mechanics or they're under the floor, like, holding something else up or something, just making all that work in conjunction with so many characters, it's like, it's mind-boggling. Well, yeah, and then add on top of that that the whole world is basically sets that have been created to look like this other Hmm. planet or whatever you want to think of it as and it's fascinatingly good like there's running water there's you know plant life and all the little animals that scurry around in the background that are not part of the story but they're just kind of there to add it to make it seem realistic Hmm. and it's it feels like a real world even though like objectively looking at it i'm like this it's not like this was filmed on location somewhere or those are real plants. They've made fake plants that match the puppets enough that it, mm-hmm. it feels like part of their universe. Yeah. yeah. And, and to arguably the the sheer creative uh, weight of, of the existence of this world, the only thing I can think of that is remotely familiar are the Gelflings. Like the Gelflings, you can say are inspired by some kind of any sylvan fairy tale you can think of, but pretty much the rest of the creatures and the world and the story and the way things work and all that kind of stuff are almost wholly original, or or at least 
so divorced from the things they're inspired by that you couldn't draw frames of reference. To mm. Well, the the main plot line is very Lord of the Ringsy, right? He has to take the item, march it across the land. He's being stalked by instead of orcs, it's those crab monsters. It yeah, comes, comes across various characters, gets there, doesn't really sure what to do with it. It basically just has to, instead of tossing it into a volcano, he just puts the piece of crystal on the rest of the crystal, which is kind of funny that nobody tried to do that before. <laughs> well, nobody knew which crystal was the right crystal. Over threw it in a bag with other crystals. <laughs> that, was a, that was a weird moment where I'm like, okay, this is a kid's movie because he gets to the place where he knows the crystal is and he's like, can I have the crystal? And she's like, sure. And she dumps a bunch out. He's like, how will I know which one is the right one? And then he just plays a magic flute and only one of them lights up and he's like, oh, good thing I had my magic flute with me. Grabs the one that lit up and he's on his way. Don't know what to do with it now, do you? Hmm? Didn't tell you that, did they? Hmm? But then a shit ton of like crab monsters show up and burn that lab down. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I guess it's not a kid's movie anymore. I don't know. Look at Ogre's weird nipples. <laughs> Stop concentrating on the nipples. It, it was a character it's that... fucking could, weird. Why? She could, she could, <laughs> she could remove her one good eye and like hold it up to look around the room. <laughs> and you're concentrating on the wrong part of the puppet. I'm just saying the eye served a story purpose. The nipples were completely decorative. <laughs> they just added nipples onto this weird creature. Because they built the puppet to be under the floorboards in Evil Dead 2 and then just decided to use it in this movie instead. Acceptable. I accept that reasoning 100%. Her, her original script, she just had to yell, I swallow your soul, I'll swallow your soul, over and over again. It was, you know, it had to be extrapolated to a lot more for the purposes of this movie. Uh, the funny thing is, I told Amanda while we were watching this, uh, of course I saw this when I was pretty young, but then every time I saw a pug after this, I always thought it looked like her. <laughs> Fair enough, she has a very squished up face. No. Yeah. Uh, um, so I guess the rumor is Netflix is putting out a prequel series next year or this year that is the rumor I've heard something about that my whole thing is there's not a fucking person alive that can carry that torch that's a big fucking torch somebody I knew was supposed to be involved with it not like you personally but somebody I'd heard of I mean, maybe it's just... I don't know. I just can't think. Outside, since... since I can't think of a single movie that was done with, like, puppets that was really fucking impressive. Uh, Team America? Come on. Yeah. Uh, There might be a... (laughs) A different level of realism applied to that movie than there is to this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna say, but it's intentionally done with cheesy puppetry style, so like, it it works, but it's not. Even though it's a good, it's a good film, you can't compare them. You can't say like that movie remotely fucking touches the technical achievements of stuff from this point no. in time. 
no, no, even other Jim Henson stuff doesn't come close to the technical achievements of this film. Yeah. I watch a lot of Sesame Street videos right now on YouTube for various <laughs> reasons. And like the, these puppets are above and beyond anything else that I can ever imagine seeing. And the fact that there's so many of them and they're all well done, the fact that they are all able to interact in various ways and that the ones of the same species are all inter- not, they're not interchangeable. They're identifiable as individual characters. It's fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. Well, it's not the series. Originally, I guess they were talking about doing a movie in like the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And it looked like Gendy Tartatovsky was going to direct. And they were going to utilize uh, live action puppets. And that uh, they were going to try to bring back everybody that they possibly could get who worked on the first one. But then apparently that's been in development hell ever since. Like two thousand, um, but then yeah, they're doing this Netflix series, which there's nothing really uh, out and about of what that's going to entail and when it's finally going to arrive. And we'll, we'll, Netflix's hope... new thing is just like, hey, we made a thing. Here it is. Oh, by the way, you can watch it now. So, I mean, I hope it. I hope it's awesome. Yeah, and, and I hope it inspires a new generation of this kind of film because. This is an art form that deserves to continue. Like, mm. and I feel like it's not—it's not continuing. It's slowly dying. Oh yeah, I mean, modern film studios are not going to invest money into something like this very often. And it'd be neat to see another version of this. I just. Again, I think they'd have to decide what audience they were going for earlier on in the production and either make a kid's movie or make a grown-up movie. Hmm. Yeah. Except. Anyway, um, highest, highest of recommends. Yeah, definitely uh, give it a watch. Like I said, I haven't watched it in a uh, um, in a long time, and I thoroughly enjoyed revisiting it. In, in my opinion, of these these uh, puppet heavy fantasy style films, of which there that that sounds like a very specific thing, but there there are a ton of them. Oh yeah, in the eighties there were. Yeah, I I say this is the single greatest one ever made. Like from from the perspective of how amazing the puppets are. It might yeah. not be the best story, but it's fucking it's astronomically above everything I, I agree with that it's it's the, the biggest accomplishment in puppet filmmaking if that's a real term that has ever happened or at least that I've ever seen nothing comes close um, the other thing is if you're just like a film nerd it's fun to watch this and watch for how it's been influential in the future because I think it's pretty obviously that the Gelfling characters which is like your main your main guy and then the girl he meets up with I think they're heavily influential visually on what the whatever the avatar characters were whatever those big blue things were are basically big blue versions of these guys oh, yeah. um, they then they, they ride these like weird animals at one point that are kind of have these long arms and I think those are those have been influential on a couple of things but definitely in the 
Star Wars prequel trilogy. There were animals that showed up that looked like bigger versions of those. And I think maybe the Cloverfield monster influenced, was influenced by them as well. I, like that's Those are a couple of things I picked up on. I think there's probably others. but The Wheelers from Return to Oz? Yeah, I could see those being kind of inspired by this movie yeah, as well. Yeah, like, like another, right afterwards? Yeah. That's another movie that uh, I haven't watched it in a while, but if memory serves, probably somebody, <laughs> somebody forgot they were making a kid's movie when that one came out too, I think. <laughs> uh, uh, Steven Tyler, after seeing how much this puppet kind of looked like him, uh, dedicated his life to plastic surgeries to look more <laughs> like the puppet. <laughs> <laughs> that's not fair Steven Tyler made his lips bigger and the puppet's lips are smaller <laughs> did maintain the puppet's haircut throughout most of his 80s and 90s career I don't know what he looks like now uh, looks like your your grandma's best friend that's kind of what he's turned into yeah <laughs> alright um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, rec- I recommend if you're, if you're listening to this podcast you probably want to watch this movie but don't watch it with your kids. Don't get, don't get tricked. <laughs> don't, don't let him lie to you. S- set your kids down. Let them process fear. It's fine. <laughs> Something tells me Lando's not going to be watching this for a while. Well, he currently doesn't have the attention span to make it through a three-minute YouTube video. So. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, Doug, do you want to tell us about Labyrinth? Sure. Uh, Labyrinth is an actual kids movie about a teenage girl who gets stuck at home babysitting her little brother. So she wishes that some goblins would come and kidnap her brother and take him away to a fantasy land and is caught off guard when her wish comes true. It's like a weird kid-friendly version of Candyman. Like, nobody expects them to actually show up, but they do. <laughs> So she goes on this uh, Alice in Wonderland Bowie's adventure. Penis, Bowie's penis, Bowie's penis. Stop it! <laughs> Stop trying to make this into a penis podcast. I'm trying to talk about a hello, a hello, Sarah. <laughs> I'm sorry. You have 13 hours, which 13 is also how long my penis is. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Doug. Keep going. (laughs) Anyway, so she has to navigate through this labyrinth to get to the castle to get her little brother's back, and she meets some weird characters on the way, some of whom are giant monsters, some of whom are awesome little rat things that think they know how to sword fight. Um, And yeah, David Bowie sings. They walk up and down these weird staircases. And in a, I think we can go right ahead and uh, spoil it. She manages to save her brother through the power of learning to love her little brother and appreciate his presence. And that's, I mean, that's about it. It really is a, a kid movie that lots of heavy references to previous kids movies. You know, there's actually at one point, there's actually like a, they're scanning across the room and she's got the book for wizard of Oz sitting there. And I'm like, yeah, that's, this, this, these opening scenes of her fighting with her parents might as well be in black and white and cut to color when she enters the labyrinth because it's that much of a reference. Um, you know, yeah. at one point she's like unconscious and she's holding like an apple with a bite taken out of it. And I'm like, okay, we know what you're doing. <laughs> it's a peach, but you know, whatever. Oh, sorry, my bad. 
Uh, so yeah, this is another one I haven't seen in like 30 years because I'm fucking old. And uh, yeah, was super excited to revisit it. Um, and I think once again, pretty much I'm going to be saying a lot of stuff that's basically the exact same what I just said about um, Dark Crystal. Which is my, like, I just look at everything and I'm just like, holy shit, this is amazing. Like, how, I can't even imagine trying to put this all together. For some reason, for me, it almost seems like it would be harder with a live action person, like a actual human in the frame with everything. But, I don't know. Well, yeah, because what's what's weird about that is you have to have to build everything kind of to scale to match Jennifer Connelly at whatever age she is in this movie. Like everything kind of has to work with her. If you want something to be small, it has to be small compared to her. You can't just take an existing puppet and have it put in a set that makes it look bigger or smaller. Yeah, Um, which has got to make it harder, I would think. I mean, in some ways. Yeah, and even just trying to orchestrate everything. I mean, if everybody's doing a puppet, I mean, that's hard. But then everybody doing a puppet, and plus you got one person who's not a puppeteer in the frame, and it's like, all right, you have to respond to everything as if this puppet is real. Don't look at the camera. Don't look at the performers. You just have to believe the puppets. And uh, it just seems like that would be that'd be fucking terrifying to even think about. Yeah, I mean, I guess they do it, right? Like, the Muppet Show existed, Sesame Street exists. Yeah. This isn't that and they already They already did the Dark Crystal, so I'm sure yeah. he was like, oh, this will be nothing. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, I think maybe if the Dark Crystal wasn't as successful financially as they were hoping, this was the attempt to go, okay, we'll bring in like, a mainstream character, We'll have David Bowie be, you know, I'm sure he was heavily marketed as being the villain of the piece. And then we're going to also have, a, you know, we're still going to have the, the young girl so that the kid audience has someone to follow through. This is much more of a traditional, I would think, movie. And therefore, in some ways, plus, I mean, it's just not as ambitious as Dark Crystal was when it comes to the visuals. There's not, there's way fewer characters. There's way, there's, there are, like, there are, I don't know what, what they are, goblins or whatever, that are kind of David Bowie's little army of guys. They are pretty much interchangeable. They're not all as easily identifiable as the characters in the last movie were. Mm-hmm. But I mean, all that's perfectly acceptable in my mind because they are... This is more of a kid's movie, right? And kids aren't going to care about that the way us nerds are we're like geeking out over Dark Crystal and all the visual accomplishments that it had. I would say, on the other hand, this versus the Dark Crystal. The Dark Crystal, I can't, like, besides the fact that it's a little lacking in story and, like, exciting parts of the story, this one has one major flaw, and I can't say the same thing of the Dark Crystal, and that is that the main character is insufferably unlikable. <laughs> Like yeah. she is just I mean, she, a, she has a character arc, definitely. Yeah, she is a whiny, bitchy, horrible character who like is unbelievably so. Oh, and, I didn't find her unbelievable. And did you, not, did you never live with a teenage girl? Like, I don't know. <laughs> but but I would also say with the 
with the incredible performances of all the puppeteers and the uh, godlike charisma of David Bowie working across from you, it makes her acting and stuff look shitty. I'm not saying her acting is shitty. I'm saying compared to everything else, it looks shitty. I would agree with that. That's something I definitely noticed. And I didn't know if it was maybe just so earlier in her career that she wasn't sort of up on her craft yet. But I do feel like she suffers in this movie. And, yeah, it may just be everything around her makes her look worse than what she actually is. All right, well, possibly I'll be the outcast here, but I actually... I'll go the other way with it. And I thought David Bowie stood out as not being able to act alongside the puppets and her. You shut your whore mouth. That's <laughs> I, see, I, I thought she did fine. I thought her acting style was consistent with older movies where I'm just trying to think of like old, like Dick Van Dyke movies and that where they would have characters interacting with cartoons and that. I thought her acting style was very consistent with that, but I thought that was a choice made by the filmmakers to have her doing that rather than try to be a, a more realistic performance. And I'd felt David Bowie just sort of always looked like he was reminding himself not to look at the puppeteers and stuff like that. And just, you could kind of tell he wasn't an actor, even though he was trying to act. And with her, you could definitely tell that she was putting on a performance, but it felt like that performance fit the movie. Uh, I would also say this movie ends up suffering from something that it doesn't suffer from until either someone points it out to you or until you take a step back and look at it. And that is, there is a really weird thing in this movie of David Bowie, who at this, what, he would have been 40, 40 40-something? Uh, sure. In this movie, who looks that age in this movie, uh, engaging in what appears to be romantic seduction of a 15 year old multiple times throughout the course of this movie. <laughs> and, and it's inarguable. That is what's going on. And I think you ignore it because you're like, oh, he's not a person. He's the Goblin King. But once you take a step back, you're like, ooh, what in the weird pedophilia fuck is going on in this movie? Like, yeah. <laughs> What but purpose I mean, does that serve? It doesn't serve any fucking purpose. She's trying to get the baby back. Why is he trying to fuck her? Like, this is weird. But that is oddly consistent with fairy tales from the past. Yeah. I mean, there's. So that's what I would, yeah, I would agree it, with that. It was always these, like, young princesses and stuff and being approached by much older characters. I mean, I, I accept that. It's just a weird thing that, it, and once you know that, the next time you watch the movie, every time those scenes pop up, you're like, this is fucking weird. This is not okay. Well, <laughs> like, I, I didn't know it going into the movie, and I still thought this is fucking weird yeah. going into yeah. it. So. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it, it's a problem. Fred. Certainly... Um, people's view of that type of behavior will be drastically different today than it was when this movie was made. And I think people seeing it for the first time now might be a little bit caught off guard by that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I would also point out, so all the puppetry and stuff is awesome. Uh, David Bowie's skill with, uh, what the fuck is it called? Cause it's actually an art form. It's like called, uh, Bunashari or something like that. 
Yeah. The weird little glass balls with the slick gloves that you make look like they're gliding and stuff. You're about to say something wrong, but continue. I don't know. It's just cool as shit. Well, that actually wasn't him doing it. Was it not him doing it? Uh, they actually had um, choreographer Michael Moshen, who is an accomplished juggler. He was actually crouched behind David Bowie and did that thing like like they do on that show, Whose Line Is It Anyway, where they have really? their arms behind their back and the other person like is the arms for them. And well, that's, people were, I, people were that's, super impressed because it looked flawless, as yeah, I'm sure you were about even, to say. It's even more impressive. <laughs> um, and they said, uh, unlike a typical Muppet performance, however, he had no video screen to view his performance, so he was doing it completely blind. So, slow golf clap to you, sir. Yeah, that's fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, put me in my place. Yeah. <laughs> I only knew it because I, I had the trivia pulled up, and it's like one of the things I was getting ready to talk about. That is impressive filmmaking because I wouldn't have noticed that it was, uh, yeah. was anything tricky. It, just, it helps because he has that like cape on at that point, I believe. And then, like, you know, I don't know, just the way they shot it, it looks really good. Because, like, I just got past that scene and, like, had looked up some trivia on it and stuff and I was like what and I had to rewind it and I was like holy shit that looks like flawless so that is fucking flawless yeah they did a good job uh, uh, do you guys have any songs from the movie that get stuck in your head like fucking glue because I most certainly do uh, the first one the girl with the power or whatever that kind of yeah, dance magic dance yeah yeah, I don't have a specific song, but I will tell you this: the singing got to me a little bit. I felt like it was—it felt like that moment in the Muppet Show where they would have like the music, almost like a musical guest, come out and sing with the puppets. And I would not want to watch that in the Muppet Show, and I didn't want it in this movie either. <laughs> There's like one moment early on where like David Bowie does a whole song dance routine with the Muppets, and I'm just like, I. This is unnecessary, yeah. and it's. Just, I guess it's, it's a dance, magic dance. That's the only yeah. one that's really popular. And I'm just like, I, I don't want to be watching this right now. I wish this would hurry up and end. <laughs> so I think every other song that kind of plays is done during the more actiony sequences, almost montage like. And it's like that's the one where I'm just like, is this a music video that they just decided to have in the middle of the movie? Yeah. There is there is a fantastic moment during the dance where they take the baby and they want to toss him up in the air, but you can't do that with a real baby because it might die. So they just switch over to the uh, dummy, and then David Bowie's tossing this dummy around or doll that's supposed to be the baby, and it very clearly isn't. And it made me laugh because like all the puppets look real. I'm willing to accept all the talking animals, but that baby is just like I don't know what I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of musicals, so that kind of stuff I was not really into either, but it didn't bother me nearly as much as I thought it was going to. Yeah, I'm not a huge I'm not a huge fan of the overuse of it, but I'll tell you what, the fucking the last song basically, the one that David Bowie's singing while they're uh playing weird sexual predator cat and, cat and mouse on the the funky stairs. Yeah. yeah. Uh that 
I move the stars for no one. That song gets fucking stuck in my head for like days and days and days and days and days after I watch this fucking movie. It's almost enough to drive me insane because I can't get it out. <laughs> uh, yeah, apparently in the dance magic scene that Doug is a big fan of, uh, consisted of over 48 puppets, 52 puppeteers, and eight people in goblin costumes. Yeah, that sounds about right. Can you just imagine the time and effort that went into filming that? And it's like the worst scene in the movie. <laughs> uh, poor Doug. Oh, Doug. That's the only scene that, like, everyone on the fucking earth knows. It remembers. <laughs> I know, but it, I don't know. And that's also the scene where you have to watch David Bowie's David Bowie's horrible gerbil-like penis attempting to escape from spandex. Stop bringing up penises. Noah's obsessed. Never. <laughs> um, I told you it is my it is my sacred duty in this world to make sure every movie we do features a penis. So does anybody have a favorite uh, puppet character? From Labyrinth? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's definitely the uh, the the little fox guy. Yeah, with the, with the eye patch and the sword. Yeah. He's pretty awesome. Yeah, he's easily the favorite. When he was, like, guarding that bridge at one point, I'm like, I don't want them to get across the bridge. I want this to become his story. <laughs> yeah. I, I I think what I've always noticed over the years is every guy likes that character, and girls tend to like Bluto. Bluto? Yeah. Um, well, the funny thing is, I actually like Bluto probably the best. Um, but there's this very specific reason. <laughs> A friend of mine in school used to do an impression of him that was almost dead on. <laughs> so we would just be somewhere and he'd be like smell <laughs> and so I was sitting there watching this and his, his impression was going through my head the whole time and so I was just cracking up laughing for like no reason <laughs> <laughs> <our> friends. <sighs> and when I posted that I was watching this he even like he didn't Obviously, couldn't do it, but he just typed out his impression like in the comments. <laughs> and I'm like, I know it's all been going through my head since I started this movie. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to revise my answer. My favorite puppet in the movie was Brian sitting on his couch, just laughing inconsolably <laughs> <and> <laughs> to something that was happening in his head from 30 years ago. My, my favorite puppet was the non-existent one of Randy Quaid, just looking <laughs> up to the side of the screen and going styrofoam cup. Jesus. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I don't know. Again, I, I'm just impressed by everything, and I think they did an awesome job for how fucking hard it's got to be to make that movie, especially in 1986. Because, good lord. But, yeah, I don't know. I enjoyed it. It's just a, it's weird comparing these two movies together because mm-hmm. both of them are much better movies than the other one in several ways. Mm-hmm. And then much inferior in other ways, obviously, but it's just an odd 
they're an odd side-by-side comparison. Yeah, like, I definitely think Dark Crystal is the bigger technical accomplishment. Yeah. But Labyrinth is going to be the easier film to put in for just an average film viewer and just watch, or the easier one for even even for us, it's probably the easier one to just rewatch. You just put it on in the background while you're doing something else, and it'd be fine, right? You don't have, you don't have to be paying until, attention. <laughs> until somebody started singing and then dug through his remote through his TV. <laughs> <laughs> Dance magic, fuck you, David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. All right, so it's been two weeks. Uh, has anybody watched anything since last we recorded? Doug, did you do you have anything you want to talk about? I got a few things I can mention. All right. Start with uh, some stuff I got caught up on. Yeah? I finally watched It. Oh, yeah? Which is like, I know everyone's probably thinking about fucking time. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I liked it. I mean, uh, we don't need to go through what the storyline is or anything. I liked it. I thought it was a little too long. Um, just a lot of unnecessary scenes that could have just been cut out. That I, maybe they were trying to get us more involved in the characters or whatever. But all that time they spent at like the quarry jumping off cliffs and stuff, I was kind of like, yeah. let's let's move it on. It wasn't none of it was terrible. It was just bonding time. Yeah. But I mean, this this was an hour and a half story made into a two and a half hour movie kind of thing. I thought, um, so yeah, overall pretty good. I didn't. It bothered me. I didn't like the kid from Stranger Things, whose name I don't know. I didn't like um, him in this movie. Yeah, ben Wolfhard. Come on. Found him annoying, and so I'm like, well, that's not good because I like that kid. <laughs> I like the kid, and I like the character from the last version of this movie. So why don't I like the combination of the two? But I mean, he wasn't so annoying that it ruined the movie or anything like that. Um, oh, he so, was my favorite. And I just, I don't know what it was. It was just too much of the the constant like trying to tell the same joke over and over again. So, I don't know, that's my basic review of it. I thought, I, I do think they did a, a pretty good job of retell- of telling just the first story, um, mm-hmm. which, I mean, it, for me, like, as a, a fan of the original book and a fan of the original miniseries, I would love to then just announce, hey, we're making two movies, but in the realistic world where they can only get the budget for one movie, I think they did a good job of telling the one story, and it, it could be over in theory, but it made enough money that we're going to get the second half, so that's good. Um, the other thing I finally caught up with was Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, as pe- people may know, I'm not really a big fan of the current DC movies. Yeah, me neither. And Even though I Wonder- keep watching them for some reason. Yeah, Wonder Woman was the one that was everyone kept telling me. It's like, oh, this is the really, really good one. And mm-hmm. Yeah, those people are wrong. Oh, and boo. It is, okay, it is the best of the current DC movies. I'll, I'll grant it that much. It it was okay. It was sort of a, like um, 
I would say like an updated version of what Marvel movies used to be before they invented the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It reminded me a lot of those sort of movies that were scared to dedicate too much time to the origin story, but also scared to <laughs> expect people to know who the character is. Um, you know, think back to like the Ben Affleck Daredevil. It's like, this is like a, a modern version of that. That's, that is not a good comparison. <laughs> it's, it's better than that. I'll grant you that. Um, I, I did find like, I don't know that it was really inconsistent and it didn't make a lot of sense. Okay, so you have this you have Wonder Woman on her island, right? Mm-hmm. And they go on and on about how she can like quote Socrates and she knows two hundred and fifty languages or something. Mm-hmm. But then she gets to London and it's like, What? People here dress differently than people where I come from? How can this be? And it's like, Well, it doesn't make any sense. She can't be this like worldly character who knows knows all these things and then not have a basic comprehension that other cultures behave differently. Like, you'd be completely caught off guard by the concept. Well, to be fair, they cut themselves off from the world of man, so they may not have known what's been going on. Okay. Just Socrates and stuff, it's all past history. But if she knows that there are 250 languages, she, just knowing that there are those, let alone knowing how to speak them... <laughs> she should know that there are different cultures and that different cultures are going to behave and dress and act differently and not be so caught off guard by the concept. It's because it's not like, it's not like she gets there and she goes, I understand that your women here are different. Explain to me how they behave so that I can try to mingle in. It's like she gets there and she has no idea that women there are going to behave differently than women on her Island and that there's going to be different class structures and different whatever else. And it's like, of course there is. And just just knowing that there are other cultures is enough to know that they're going to be different in some way. So it's just sort of like they tried to play it up as like the fish out of water humor. And it didn't go over well for me because I'm sitting there going like I thought I don't know. I thought she was supposed to be this intelligent character back on the island and strong willed and everything. And it's like yeah. But not really though because now she doesn't understand what dresses are. Hmm. And that, that whole thing, too, with, like, everyone's arguing about whether she... Well, nobody was arguing. James Cameron argued and nobody else... Everybody else yelled at him saying she, like, wasn't really a strong female character. Kind of agree that she wasn't. Like, she's physically strong in the movie, but she is kind of the sidekick to Steve... Whatever his name is. Not Rogers. The other one. Trevor. Yeah. I from a hard... I'm seeing it interpreted that way. Yeah, I don't agree with well, that either. Okay, so but he, so she they're on their island, right? He shows up. That's that's a whole separate problem where the island is not blocked off in any way. It's just like they can't. It's just cloaked. So yes. anybody can just show up at an all time, but nobody has in thousands of years. And then yes. when a bunch of Nazi ships show up and crash the nazis don't send another ship to check where those ones went um, uh you can prefer to you can refer to them as pre-nazis but they're not quite nazis yet uh, close enough all germans are pretty much nazis in my <laughs> not that i want to sound judgmental or make political statements anyways whatever okay pre-nazis whatever they were <laughs> they show up uh, like a bunch of ships go in and never return and they don't send more on the same course to see what happened to them that doesn't make any sense but getting back from that, like from that point, she pretty much follows him on his mission. 
and it's like it's only through pure luck that anything she's there to do turns out to be accurate because she's going and hunting this guy who she thinks is I guess we're in a spoiler territory here in case anyone's worried about that but she's going to hunt this guy who she thinks is causing all the war and that's not the guy (laughs) and then it's just bullshit luck that the guy who is causing all the war is also there like it's one of those moments where I'm like she she pretty much just got dragged along with this mission and I, I found it I don't know I didn't like I, I didn't even necessarily feel like through much of this movie she was the main character which is weird mm. so I, I anyways I wasn't impressed it wasn't a terrible movie it was a kind of a fun action movie to watch but I didn't understand what all the hype was and I guess Maybe my biggest problem is that, like, I'm reading on Facebook people saying, like, oh, it's a travesty that this wasn't nominated for more Oscars and stuff. And then I watch it and go, why? I don't understand what about this movie is so good that people love it, other than DC has just set their expectations so low at this point that the fact that it's not a failure has people's mind blown. I, I don't understand that you don't understand. <laughs> I, I don't, I do not understand what people loved about this movie at all. Like, it was adequate i don't regret watching it i don't understand the hype at all I, it's I, and part of it is the, the action didn't really work for me i didn't there was way too much of that i'm gonna throw a kick and we're gonna do that kick in slow motion okay back to fast motion and then we'll slow down for the next kick and it'll be in slow motion um but that's just a personal taste thing as far as the story goes to whatever extent that there even really was a story other than there's a war. She's going to go fight the god of war. That's all that happens, really. <laughs> I don't know. Can Can you guys explain to me what about this movie it is that people think it should be like, nominated for movie of the year? Um, I don't know if I'd go that far. If it needs to be nominated for Oscars or anything, but why, why do other people think it should be? Uh, that I don't know. Okay. Um. Well, I I think the the issue is this. If you take something that is, uh, I would refer to it as an upper tier movie. So I'm not going to say it was the best movie of the year, but it was on the shelf with the best movie of the year. You add into it a uh, popular social issue, such as wanting more female leads in movies. And directors. And directors. And all of a sudden, I think people uh, lose objectivity in favor of favoritism for the topic, which is not necessarily a bad thing, because I think that that serves a very good purpose sometimes. Uh, It's difficult for me because I'm an objectivist in general. (laughs) I just judge things on being themselves, but... But I think I think that's what does it. I mean, as simply as possible. Maybe that's it. And I, and I have no problem with like female-led movies. I have no problem with female directors. I just think this was. I mean, I mean, it was just an action movie. There was nothing more to it. I don't think there was a female empowerment message in this movie per se, other than the fact that the character happens to be female. To me, I, I, like 
I get hooked up on little things like they make a big deal of her finding the Wonder Woman outfit, but there's no story to it. It's just like in uh, Man of Steel where they're like, look, he's now got his outfit. He found it in this closet. She pretty much has the same moment in this movie. And I'm just like, well, I don't know. Spend some time doing cool superhero stuff. Mm, you made me sad, Doug. Sorry. Uh, maybe I'll, t- I'll talk about something that's better than... <laughs> this is the only DC movie gonna, that, that I actually bought. You're going to list some bad movie right now, Doug, and we're going to throw something at you in Canada. All right. Well, no, look, and look, I, Wonder Woman is the best DC movie that I, okay, I, haven't, I haven't seen Justice League, but... Yeah, that doesn't... Uh, we all your, know your that. Your statement kind of is still correct. Yeah. Like, and it's, it's not close, just so we're clear. It's not... It's not debatable in my mind that it's the best DC movie. I just... That that doesn't say a lot, I guess. Well, yeah, it's like saying, hey, I found a quarter in this pile of dog shit. <laughs> sure, sure, you've got a quarter now. But you're comparing it to a pile of dog shit. <laughs> All right, well, I don't know where to go from that, so I'm just going to talk about something else. <laughs> uh, complete opposite end of the spectrum. I stumbled on... Netflix onto Killing Ground, which right. is a low budget, I think Australian thriller film. Um, I believe it's been in my queue for a while. I've not watched yeah. it yet. Pretty pretty typical storyline wise. Couple goes camping, runs afoul of some bad people, are getting chased around the woods. Game of cat and mouse goes on. Uh, but really well done. Um, so there's this moment where they they get there and there's this other tent set up where they're going to camp and they start to realize, hey, those people aren't coming back. And as an audience, you're watching it. You obviously know those people probably got killed by the same people who are going to show up and kill you. And it was that creepy looking guy in the truck who told you you should camp over here instead of over there. That's what's going to like. It's not a mystery at this point in the movie. You, you know what's happening, I think, unless it's your first time ever watching a movie. But then what they do is they flash back and they tell the story of that other family that was there camping and what happened to them. And you sort of, you're flashing back and forth between, you know, current time following this couple as they're going on their little, their, their little adventure and they end up finding a survivor from the previous story. And so what you end up is the two stories kind of coming together, which was really neat. Um, just thought it was a fun way to tell a rather traditional story. Uh, and the other thing the movie does really well is it's meant to be a thriller film. A lot of implied gore, implied violence. They really walk a fine line where you kind of get creeped out and go, ooh, they did something terrible there, but they don't feel the need to show it, so it doesn't become an exploitation film or a torture porn film, anything like that. You know horrible things have happened. You know who they've happened to. You can kind of guess what those things were, but they don't they don't feel the need to show you every graphic detail and therefore turn this into something, a different kind of movie. So if you're like, if you're a fan of like the lower budget thriller type movies, this would be the big recommend for me. Um, you know, again, don't go into it thinking that you're going to get something other than that, but it's, I liked it a lot. Nice. So I may have to move it up to the top of my queue. All right. 
It's so, after that woman one review. I don't know. Yeah. Continue. There's a strong female character in this. There's the, <laughs> the, the, the couple. There's like she she's actually like a pretty well thought out character, and she doesn't take too too much shit from people. And I won't spoil it, maybe, but it's kind of neat the way some of the stuff plays out when she thinks certain things have happened, and when she finds out that what happened isn't what she thinks happened, she gets pissed. <laughs> but I enjoyed it. Um, maybe we'll talk about that more if, if you ever get a chance to watch it. <laughs> but. Um, and I don't know, a couple other things I've rewatched, but the other big one that I know you'll want to talk about is the new Cloverfield movie. Oh. Uh, oh. <laughs> Was that a sad, vo- sad voice? Like you uh, hated no. it? Or? No. Uh, did you watch it, Noah? I, I have not. You're the worst. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, to, to be 100 percent honest i had no fucking idea that it had like come out or was anywhere to to be watched up until i think today and then i was like oh oh shit fuck noah that was the big news on sunday night i don't know i wouldn't probably i must have been doing something i don't know yeah i literally didn't hear about it until people on facebook started complaining about it not being good and i'm like there's a new Cloverfield movie that people don't like. <laughs> like, and then when I realized it was it had been put to Netflix directly, I'm like, oh, well, that's that's an easy solution. See, on Sunday I was watching Labyrinth, and I checked my phone, and people were like, oh my god, they just said during the Super Bowl that the new Cloverfield movie is dropping as soon as the game's over, and I was like, holy shit! So, as soon as Labyrinth was over, I turned it on. Fair enough. So, what did you think, Doug? I liked it. I, I'm not sure why everyone's so upset by it. Um, you know, I, I it wasn't a great movie. For me, it was more of an action movie. I was kind of hoping it would be more of a, a sci-fi thriller or a, or a horror film. Um, but that's not what they were trying to make, so that's just me, me wanting it to be that isn't really relevant. Um, I thought, yeah, it, it was... I guess it was on par with what I would have expected Netflix originals to be before Netflix started making originals. And now I kind of have higher expectations for them, but there's like some weird moments early on where it's like, they're trying to create tension between the characters. And I thought it's just, it felt kind of cheesy, but once all the violence starts and everything looked really cool, I thought conceptually the way it ties into the other movies indirectly is neat. And the way it sort of sets up for them to yeah. keep doing these sort of connected, sort of standalone films for as long as they want, basically. Yeah. They've, they've set it up so they can do that whenever they want now, and I, I like that. If they ever want to bring some of the characters from the movies together, great. If they decide to keep them all separate, they can do that. They've built a neat little universe for themselves. Yeah, I didn't have a huge problem with it either. I did see people grousing and complaining. Um... From what I understand, though, it was supposed to be like a separate movie. And then they just shoehorned a bunch of Cloverfield stuff in. But, I don't know, it still didn't bother me. Well, yeah, but I mean, you could make that argument with 10 Cloverfield Lane as well, right? That yeah. it was basically a completely different movie. And then they just were like, yeah, but it's on Cloverfield Lane. And you're like, ooh, it is. Good point. Um, yeah. But, that's just the way that this particular film series seems to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't, and I didn't have a problem with it. I, 
think they found a way to make it all fit. Interestingly enough, um, I don't know. Maybe Noah. Maybe you'll be happy. Maybe you won't. They they do sort of explain why the Cloverfield monster showed up, sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also give an explanation why apparently the fourth movie is going to be set during World War II and still have that make any lick of sense whatsoever. Um, yeah, that's confusing. I, mean, I don't. I think we can spoil this much because it is like explained through dialogue in the first half of the movie. But yeah, they're, okay. they're they're in space and they're trying some giant experiment, and there are scientists on Earth who are warning that they're going to rip a hole in the space time continuum and bring various dimensions together across space and time. So, yeah, there you go. That's why movies can happen any time period they want. That's why any different kind of monster can show up that you want. That's why maybe 10 Cloverfield Lane was set on the same planet as the first Cloverfield movie, and maybe it wasn't. Who knows? It, it doesn't matter because there's all these different dimensions out there. There's no more. There's no direct timeline anymore. Or anything. Oh, I'll be 100% honest. That sounds like a really uh, shitty escape hatch <laughs> for plot holes. Nah, I mean, not really. Because they don't really have anything they need to clear up yet. But essentially, I mean, they're on a space station that essentially has like a fuck is that thing called the Hadron Collider or whatever. Yeah, they essentially have one out in space, and it's like way more powerful. And of course, that causes problems. But then, within the context of the film, that explanation pays off and makes sense. Yeah, like that. That explanation becomes necessary plot-wise throughout this movie. And it's, I still think these movies are basically standalone films. And yeah. They just want to use the Cloverfield title, but it's, it's yeah. kind of like Black Mirror, where everything is sort of set in the same universe, but they don't really feel obligated to follow the rules that were in the other episodes. They just kind of come together when they want them to. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's something you don't have to worry about if you don't want to, or if you really care about continuity and stuff like that, you can look at this and be like, oh, okay, well, that explains this and that and whatever else. Yeah, the, the one the one problem they have with doing this type of movie is by slapping the same title on it, mm-hmm. it, it intrinsically forces you to compare it to other movies in the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and while I liked the first Cloverfield movie, you know, quite a bit, Mm-hmm. Uh, John Goodman's performance in the second movie destroys the chance of any other Cloverfield movie ever being like, oh, well, this was better than two. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. That, yeah, that's that's and that's fine. But again, they're basically standalone movies, right? It's like saying that you liked a performance in a particular episode of The Twilight Zone, so you can't enjoy the rest of the series. You, you still can. You're right. You're, it, it's going to be very difficult, if not impossible, to ever top 10 Cloverfield Lane. But so that doesn't mean these can't be good and fun to watch as well. Mm-hmm. No, I, I'm not saying I'm not saying they can't be. I'm I'm saying that it opens by by putting the same title on it. It opens it up for yeah. direct comparison, direct yeah. comparison and critique based on comparison. Yeah, and that's fa- and that's fair. But I but again. Mm. I mean, you, you kind of have to watch. If you watch the three movies, you realize they're three completely different yeah. genres of film. Yeah. So it, it it offsets a bit. 
And uh, luckily, they do have some good actors in this movie. Um, uh, trying to pull up the IMDb. Uh, they got Daniel Brühl, who we last saw in, uh, or I last saw in Captain America: Civil War. As uh, never remember which which one is which. The uh, Baron Zemo. Yeah. Elma Zemo, whatever the fuck his name is. Okay. He, he was the guy that tried to make the guys kill each other. Yeah. Uh, yeah Chris, guy who's supposed to be Zemo, who clearly is not Zemo. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Chris O'Dowd's in this, who I'm always a big fan of. He's usually in comedies, though, so he is sort of more of the comic relief in this movie, which is perfectly fine. Uh, Z, Z Zhang. Doesn't she do a lot of uh, martial art movies, I think? Yeah, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Okay, I didn't recognize like her. That. Yeah. Uh, Rush Hour 2, of course. Um, yeah, House of Flying Daggers. So she's sort of known for all those movies. She's in it. She does a really good job. Um, and the main girl, who I don't know from anything, played Hamilton, but I thought she did a good job. Yeah. Um, I... Yeah, I mean, nobody does a John Goodman performance, as you said, but it's, uh, I don't know, it's just like a fun sci-fi movie, and I was fine with that. Yeah. And I feel like people are at the point where if it's not like the most mind-blowing movie of all time, then it's a failure. I'm like, it can be just an okay movie. Like, it's a movie that's like, yeah, it's good, it's fine. Yeah. But for some reason, people are just like, that was dumb. It's like, why? Because it was the best movie I've ever seen. Like, well, you're dumb. The, the, the problem is that the internet has turned people into internet trolls, and then yeah. somehow that has now reversed, and now people have become internet trolls in their everyday lives. Yeah, yeah. there's some truth to that. Yeah. But Either. I don't know. I'm, I'm on the side that says, like, uh, there's three Cloverfield movies to me, they're all good. You can compare them directly if you want. It probably isn't a good idea to try to compare them directly because yeah. they're very, di- very different movies. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. And there's a couple scenes in this that I was like, holy fuck. Um, and I bet Doug knows exactly one that I'm talking about that deals with something inside of a wall. Yeah. That, that, was, was, that was definitely my favorite moment of the movie. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. Then the indirect Evil Dead two reference that they make is, in my <laughs> opinion, I enjoyed watching that. Even though at that point I'm like, well, this is not as serious a movie as I was hoping it would be. <laughs> but look what's happening right now. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah. I'd say recommend for me. I enjoyed it. Just don't go in expecting the best thing ever. Uh, did you watch anything else? Uh, I did, uh, mostly to upset Noah, I did buy Spider-Man Homecoming on Blu-ray because it's half the price of all the other Marvel movies because it's not <laughs> by Disney. <laughs> why, why would that upset me? It's a normal-priced movie. <laughs> but I did, so just so the listeners know, I, I, I Noah's always complaining about the Disney movies being overpriced, so I picked up the brand-new release of Spider-Man Homecoming, held it up against Civil War, which was more than double the price and took a picture of it and sent it to no, yeah. Well, this uh, is one of Noah's big rants. I, Iron Man. Iron Man 1 is more than double the price of Spider-Man <laughs> Homecoming. 
Yeah, so, I yeah. bought all that shit when it came out. I ain't, I ain't double dipping for that bullshit. Yes, yeah, Spider Man. It it holds up on a on a reviewing. We did a whole podcast dedicated to it once yeah. upon a time, so people will know. Uh, but yeah. Oh, the other thing I watched that is actually new is I watched uh, the end of the fucking world. It's a little series of that's it's originally a British series, but it's on Netflix now. Mm-hmm. It's this weird like Dexter meets Juno matchup thing where they go on a road trip together. <laughs> um. That seems like a very good way to put it from the description I read of the show. Yeah, I don't have a lot to say about it. I kind of used it as one of those like shows to have on while I was doing other things, mm. and it was very adequate for that purpose. I don't think there was anything great about it. I don't think there was anything terrible about it. It was I'd rather have that on in the background than reruns of Big Bang Theory or something, so that's what it was for. Um, there was There were a couple of gore scenes that were better than I anticipated, not realizing what I was getting into when I turned it on. And I can definitely see how somebody would be annoyed by the teenager characters, but I don't know. Yeah. It is what it is. It's on my queue to watch at some point, but yeah, it's not like at the top or anything. So, yeah, and that's, I mean, that's enough for me. That's more than I usually get to talk about. So, What do you got, Noah? Uh, well, I'm still continuing my my trek through Star Trek. Star Trek. Yes. Trek. Uh, Trek. Man, there's a lot of fucking episodes of the original series. It's it's really crazy. For, for only running three seasons, it's taken a long fucking time to get through all of them. Uh, and then because I was watching all that uh, on Netflix, there's another trail for Noah. No, Netflix. No, I caught the uh, the in, in search of Spock, the documentary that was directed by uh, Leonard Nimoy's son, that originally was supposed to be about the Spock character, and then you know his dad died, so then it ended up kind of ending up being about his dad more so. Uh, in which it's pretty good. It it delves a little uh, deeper into some of the personal life stuff of Leonard Nimoy and his son that I didn't know about. I didn't really know that they were as estranged as apparently they were for a very long time. But Is it because of that goddamn Bilbo Baggins song? Well, it's more like <laughs> Leonard Nimoy was a, a workaholic turned alcoholic. So... <laughs> those two things. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Probably hanging out with Shatner too much. Yeah, pretty much. And and you learn a lot about him. I've I've always thought Leonard Nimoy was a fascinating person because he seemed like a genuinely good person outside of all his Hollywood stuff, (laughs) which is not common. Most of the time, whenever you're like, man, I love this guy's movie. I want to find out more about him. And then you're like, oh, no. No. He did what? Dog fighting? <laughs> Why? Seems like I read somewhere and it was not a parody that uh, Zachary Quinto was going to do a new version of In Search. No, they, that's really happening. Yeah, it's, someone commented that like next thing you know he's gonna be doing a cover of that goddamn Bilbo Baggins song. Bilbo, I hope Baggins, the greatest little hobbit of them all. But if you like, if you like Leonard Nimoy and or like Star Trek, it's a good watch. 
it's a documentary, so documentaries aren't your thing. Probably not going to do nothing for you. I don't like real life. Uh, and, and then because uh, Brian was so sweet as to uh, let me use his uh, shutter mm-hmm. on my Xbox, so I have sweet, sweet shutter access. I was scrolling through there, and Chud was on there, so I watched Chud. Because I can't, like, not watch Chud. That's, that's reasonable. Uh, skipping past that, because I watch Chud all the time, so <laughs> it's not, not a weird... It's a new delivery method for you to watch Chud. Yeah, it's just another way for me to watch Chud. Uh, I watched Pieces, because I, I think I've only ever actually seen Pieces once before. Mm, yeah. Man, that's a fucking good movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pieces is awesome. It's good in all of the the best and worst ways a movie can be good. Just everything about it. The first the first like 20 minutes of that movie is just random death scenes. Like there's no it's almost completely unconnected and pointless. Whoa, whoa. Pointless? Unconnected I'll give you, but pointless is unfair. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's about watching people die on screen, which is just fun, and that's what slashers are for. Um, I actually have the uh, the Grindhouse releasing Blu-ray version of it. Nice. And uh, looking it up to make sure I'm telling the truth, but uh, one of the special features is a. Uh, I'll have to look again. But I believe there's a uh, Grindhouse audio track. So you can watch the movie as if you're in an old shitty theater with people talking and yelling to the screen. (laughs) Uh, Which I have not watched it that way. I need to. That's fascinating. Um, Yeah. I've heard there's a few movies out there that have that option. (laughs) I've also heard... uh, here it is, special 5.1 audio option, the Vine Theater Experience. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I need to actually pull that out and watch that sometime. Somebody told me there's like, a, if you get one of those virtual reality headsets that you kind of put your smartphone into, that there's an app you can get where you can watch almost any movie and it gives you like a theater setting to the point where if you move your head around the screen stays still and you can see the other, the backs of the other people's heads that are in the theater with you. <laughs> like that seems oddly pointless and time consuming, but I think, I, I think it'd be fun to watch a movie like that. Uh, and then that Blu-ray also has a documentary called 42nd street memories, which is like an hour and a half documentary, just about the 42nd street experience of going to see movies and stuff during that. Sweet, sweet time. If only I had a time machine. Yes. It'd be awesome. You hear people talk about how they got stabbed and didn't get up to go to the hospital. They finished the movie and then went to the hospital. (laughs) Yeah, but Damn It Pieces is a good fucking movie. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, it's got all the black gloves and tits of a Giallo movie Mm -hmm. and all of the splattery blood and tits of a low-budget American <laughs> movie. And then it's got tits. It's got, man, it's got a plethora. 
It's got a plethora of nips in it. <laughs> it's got a naked puzzle. I mean, what else do you want? Yeah, and it's it's got like it's got a good body count to it, and it doesn't take itself too fucking seriously. Everything about that movie is fucking good. That's, yeah. Can't can't recommend it enough. I, I can't believe it's been weekend. that that long since I've fucking watched it. Mm. Been so long, I didn't remember parts of it. I was like, oh shit, I don't even remember this person getting chopped <laughs> up with a chainsaw. <laughs> Oh, I'm to pieces again. Yeah, I know, right? I love me. I love me a slasher. I just <laughs> so much fun to just watch people get killed for no reason. Like I said, is is pieces technically a giallo? It's about as close to being a giallo without being an actual giallo as it gets. It's a real gray area. Well, I think some of that influences. I think it was shot in Spain. Is it Spanish? Or Italy. I don't know. I mean, it's dubbed, obviously. Yeah. But I can't remember, like, where it comes from originally. Like I said, it's skeezy. It's skeezy. Like oh, yeah. <laughs> but just the, the, the close-ups of the black-gloved hands is very giallo. But, like, the, the deaths aren't. You know what I mean? Like, you don't get a lot of people getting chopped up with an axe or a chainsaw or something in a giallo movie. Usually it's just like a switchblade. <laughs> stabby, stabby, stabby. Move on. <laughs> How dare you be a woman in Italy? <laughs> stabby, stabby, stabby. <laughs> okay, here you go. Producer Dick Randall was simultaneously making kung fu movies in Rome and a cameo for a Bruce Lee imitator Bruce Lee, with only one E in Lee, <laughs> was written into this film, even though the scene makes no sense in the context of the rest of the film. Well, much of the rest of the film is also people who have no reason to be there getting killed. <laughs> so, why are they pointing out that that one doesn't make sense? <laughs> um, and the look of the killer was based on the comic book character, The Shadow, as is the often thought of Italian giallo cinema. Huh. Yep. The shadow knows. <laughs> uh, and uh, the entire movie was shot in Madrid. Uh, nothing in Boston because there was no budget for second units. Some of the some of the USA what? locations. Some <laughs> of the USA locations were recycled from Supersonic Man stock footage. Another movie that the guy had directed. Amazing. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> now I'm going to have to watch it again uh, so after watching that because I was like damn it that was way more awesome than I remember it being I was like what's something else I could watch that's kind of like gross and Italian and skeezy <laughs> so I watched the New York River <laughs> and it was, was exactly good. what I wanted it's, it's skeezy and Italian and <laughs> It's everything I want in a skeezy movie. The the Italians know sleaze better than any culture on the planet. <laughs> and, and I really mean that in a fond, not insulting way. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. But, I mean, it's a Fulci. It's a Fulci movie. So, if you like Fulci, watch it. Because as far as I, I can't think of a single bad... As far as what I like in movies. 
there is not a bad Fulci movie. If you like Fulci and Donald Duck making obscene phone calls, this movie's for you. <laughs> this is the one. And if you don't, you probably didn't make it this far in the podcast. <laughs> you turned us off 12 episodes ago. <laughs> if, if the Donald Duck's not what you're looking for, then I recommend uh, watching Zombie, because that iPop scene is good. That's some good iPopping. Yeah. But as far as I can, I'm sure there's something else I watched, but that's really all I remember uh, that that draws my attention. I've been like busy this week with sick cat. And... Yeah. Um. All right. So I watched a few things. I went on a tear last last week and this week it seems. Um. Finally got to go see the Shape of Water, which was awesome. Yeah. Um, this is probably the most anticipated movie I've had on my calendar in a long time because I'm a huge Del Toro fan. And uh, yeah, just absolutely loved it. It's uh, gorgeous, as you would expect. Um, we had a bunch of old people in our theater. And I'm just like, oh, these old people are going to walk out. Shockingly, none of them did. Even during the uh, the weird sex scene between the lady and Doug Jones. Um, is there a full-on sex scene? Uh, I mean, it's it's very, done very artistically. Do they? But, does he press his cloaca against her? <laughs> uh, no, it's it's all like I don't know. It'll make sense when you watch it. But um, the movie does open with her waking up. And it shows her do this routine multiple times throughout the movie. So she wakes up, she fills up the bathtub, gets in it, and masturbates. And then goes about the rest of her morning making breakfast and all that stuff. Hmm. To which I thought that was going to be enough for the old people and be like, they'd be like, what? This is a dirty movie. And like get up and leave. But shockingly, they didn't. Someone tell that bitch to quit flicking her bean. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, beautiful movie. Like it's just one of those that you're just like, yeah, this is definitely a Del Toro movie, and it like punches all those buttons and just I don't know. I loved it. Uh, Michael Shannon's awesome. He's so evil in this movie. It's so great. Um, apparently, his character is a Superman peer, which I don't know if uh, either one of you have. Uh, ever been in a men's bathroom? You see the guy just unzip and then put his put his fist on his hips and just stand there and pee. We always call that the Superman pier. <laughs> I didn't know there was a word for that. Yeah, um, it's the yeah, second it's a... weirdest way to pee. The weirdest one is if you put your hands in your pockets. Just so we're clear. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree. That would be weird. I, yeah, I thought the weirdest one is the guy's like one who closes their eyes. And then makes noises while they're doing it, where they're like, <laughs> "That guy's just having a bad day." Uh, um, I think it's amazing because you have the lead of the movie, Sally Hawkins. Her character is mute, so she doesn't talk. And then you have uh, Doug Jones is the you know the fish man, and he doesn't really speak other than just weird chirps and sounds. So it's like your two leads don't 
talk really, but it's still they still communicate and it still makes perfect sense and yeah. Uh, it's gorgeous. It's amazing. I gave it four and a half out of five stars. So everybody should uh, should go give it a watch. Yeah, is yeah, it's definitely worth it. Um, then I got on a Netflix bender and I watched the movie The Open House because I'd heard a bunch of things about it. Um, so, uh, the dad of this family is in just a weird, flaky accident. He ends up dying. They were already like sort of financially struggling. And so the mom doesn't know what they're going to do. And her teenage son obviously is really upset because he witnessed it happen. And some hoity-toity rich friend of theirs tells him like, hey, we have like this mountain house that like, you know, we're selling it at the moment. But I mean, nobody's staying there. You should just go stay there for a while until you figure out what you're going to do. And of course, when they move in, like weird shit starts happening throughout the entire neighborhood and uh um they're still doing like open houses and everything and so they have to leave like every sunday from from like 11 a.m to like five or something so this house can people can come to this house and at some point someone mentions how weird it is that we have these like you know we have these open houses and then people show up and just walk around your house but then they make it a point to mention that nobody ever really checks to make sure that everybody left. So that kind of feeds into this weird paranoia in this house and just weird shit's happening and creepy scenes in the basement and all this kind of stuff. Um, I really enjoyed it. The, the very, very end is kind of like, uh, I don't want to say falls flat, but it just sort of leaves you like, Oh, okay. So I guess we're just, we're just going to go with that and not, not really answer all these other questions, but okay, whatever. Um, I saw when I posted, that I was watching it. Some people said they didn't really didn't enjoy it. Did not enjoy it. Um, I thought it was all right though. I think it's good for a Netflix watch. So you're not really paying for it, but you know, I still enjoyed it. Um, after that, I watched Fender Bender, which is, an interesting idea, but it was so low budget, I just don't think they were able to handle what they wanted to do with it. Um, so it's essentially a serial killer who chooses his victims by causing minor accidents with his car. So essentially, like, this girl is sitting in her car on her phone, and he just comes up behind her at the stop sign and just rear-ends her. And it's not like a huge deal, but it's enough where they have to exchange information. And so then the conceit is when stuff like this happens, you just give somebody all your address and your phone number and all this stuff. And then, you know, this guy turns out to be a serial killer. So he ends up stalking people this way and going to their house. And so it's essentially a girl uh, home by herself over the weekend and her friends come over and then this guy, you know, shows up to her house after getting into an accident with her and starts picking her friends off one by one. Like, it's okay. It just, uh, I don't think they accomplished nearly as much as they thought they were going to with it. 
That sounds uh, like an interesting concept. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I think it's if they would have had more money, I think it would have helped them immensely. Um, then I watched the Netflix movie Before I Wake. Okay. Uh, which uh, I'd seen a preview for, and I was actually really excited about it. And so essentially, um, this couple who have lost their son like a couple years before, he, uh, I don't know, something happened that they don't ever fully explain, but uh, their son ends up drowning in the bathtub. And so, of course, they went through this horrible mourning period, but now they've decided to be a foster parents. And uh, the the kid that they are fostering, his mom had died. And I don't remember if they ever say anything. I think he, he, was, he was just a single mom. I don't know if he knows who his dad is. That's not really important. Um, so he comes to live with them, and they soon discover that he has this power that when he goes to sleep, his dreams come true. Um. And the dad is played by Thomas Jane, which I'm always a big fan of. And I think they did. I really liked it. I thought it was a good movie because he starts asking questions about their son that they had that passed away. And there's still like a picture of him up on the wall. So he starts having dreams about their son. And so then they'll be sitting there and their son, their dead son will just walk into the room like he's still alive so it becomes this weird like um the mom has this weird codependent thing where she waits every night for her son to go to sleep or for the foster kid to go to sleep so that her son will show up and throughout the day she's essentially been feeding this kid like all this stuff about her son so that when the son shows up he's a little closer to what her son was actually like um but then, of course, it turns out there's also something else in this kid's nightmares that uh, he calls the canker man that comes out after him and stuff like that. Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Thomas Jane was awesome in it. Um, I'm beginning to find that I like his performances because I feel like they're really like naturalistic. Like th- this one, it definitely is. He just has like a natural way of talking which I realized maybe he sort of shares that, I think, with Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell's are a little bit more uh, light in tone, his performances, but I feel like it's sort of the same thing where it just feels natural, like he's just naturally talking rather than giving a performance. Um, so before I wake, I enjoyed it. Everybody should watch it. Yeah, that one's been on my watch list. It sounds like sounds better than I expected it to sound and it was already on my watch list so it's going to yeah. probably get moved up yeah and it's directed by Mike Flanagan who I'm becoming a big fan of so I mean if you enjoyed um, Gerald's Game and uh, Oculus and his other ones what Hush that was on Netflix for a long time okay um, and he uh, he did uh, Ouija Origin of Evil which I've heard is better than the first one. I didn't watch the first one, but I watched E.G. Origin of the Evil and I really enjoyed. So I'm becoming a big fan of his and uh, he directed this. So I was 
I was very happy with it. Hush was a good one. It's the only one I've seen of his. So. No, okay. I was, yeah, I, was, I was not a big fan of Hush, but I liked his other movies. Uh, you haven't watched Gerald's Game yet? What? I like Gerald's Game. I said I like, his, I like his other I'm talking, movies. I'm I just, talking to Doug. Yeah, no, I haven't gotten to it yet. It's okay. also on my watch list. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so Mike Flanagan's becoming somebody I'm, I'm a big fan of. And apparently he just got tapped cause, probably because he did such a good job with, job with Gerald's Game that he's going to do uh, Dr. Sleep, the Stephen King adaptation, which is the book sequel to The Shining. Yeah. Now, have have yeah. you guys read the book? I have. Just, I okay. would argue it's the second sequel to The Shining. Okay, what would be the first one? The Talisman. Man, I, I wouldn't say that at all. Absolutely, because it's the uh, the other character, the the uh, the black dude who teaches him about The Shining. It's what happens to him. What? Yeah, the, the, they're the same character. The black the black dude from the The Shining is uh, shows up to give that other kid the potion that lets him travel between universes. Oh, you read it a long time ago because that is not correct. I'm ninety percent sure it is. I'm a hundred percent sure that it is not. I, I trust you because you're his, better with that than me. But I could have sworn to God that's him. No, his name is Speedy, Speedy Parker. He is uh, Dick Holleran is mentioned briefly in the book of It because he uh, hung out with uh, Mike's dad in the army. Hmm. I'm yeah. just casually staying out of this because well, he was dead wrong. I don't want to pick the wrong side. <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I'm, I would never dare argue with Brian over it, but I, I could have sworn because he talks about some kid he met and he, he even mentions The Shining by name. Mm, no. I don't know. I have to reread it. Um, you should. It's a good book. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, uh, yeah. So Warner Brothers is doing Doctor Sleep, so it officially can be a sequel to the Shining movie. And Mike Flanagan's is going to direct it. The book's like all right. It's not great. Um. Yeah, I don't know. It's one of those books. Like, I don't think it needed to be written. I don't think we needed a sequel to The Shining, but it could have been worse, I guess. But I don't know. Just like, also, I don't know if we needed a uh, if we need a sequel to the movie. But I don't think we do, we need it. But if it's done well, that's yeah. one of those things where I'm like, we don't need sequels to anything. But if they if they go well everyone will be happy about it. Um, yeah. Sounds like you have high hopes based on this director being involved. So I am a big fan of the director, so I'm hoping it turns out okay, but yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Um, and then the last thing I watched was a movie called Dead Awake, which is about people who have sleep paralysis and a witch who uh, strangles them in their sleep, essentially. That doesn't sound um, good. It was not good. Uh, this girl's twin sister uh, dies of it. And so this, 
they're they're not getting along they weren't getting along at the time so she decides to go home and try to figure out like what happened to her so she's hanging out with her sister's boyfriend and her friend who all coincidentally also seem to be start having night terrors and end up dying one by one and yeah it was dumb so don't watch that here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future all right. Well, Doug, why don't you uh, let our listeners know what we're going to be talking about next week? Uh, yeah. Next week, we um, we realized that next week's show falls during the school year. <laughs> and so we decided we're going to do Class of 1984 and Class of 1999, which obviously go well together because they have some of the same words in the title. <laughs> That is pretty much the entire reason that they were put together. <laughs> it is. I don't think they're very similar films at all. Um, to be honest, I haven't seen Class of 84 in a long time, and I don't think I've ever actually seen all of Class of 1999. So we'll find out. Hmm. Yeah, I think one of them has Stacey Keach in it. Oh, that'll be my favorite. Probably. It is. <laughs> Um, I don't have anything smarmy to say. <laughs> no, I'm thinking about Stacy Keach and his no, Normally, I always have something smartassy to say, but no, not at the moment. Uh, it's, it's late. <laughs> He's too busy going. Like I swear, the talisman. I, I do. I really swear to God, like because I just re- listened to the audiobook like a year ago. What I love conceptually is that for a year you've been telling people this, and then all those people I assume are going to listen to this podcast and realize you've been lying to them. You'll literally the nothing only but phone calls and texts tomorrow. Like, what the fuck? I was going to say, literally the only two human beings on the planet that I would be talking about Stephen King with are Brian and my dad. <laughs> <laughs> that means, Brian, you're expected to call him tomorrow and be like, I listened to the podcast, and it turns out I told you you were wrong. Oddly enough, both those same person. <laughs> I love you, Daddy. Wait, what? <laughs> All got very upsetting. <laughs> Damn it! Now I'm looking on the Stephen King website, and uh... okay, yeah, Lester Parker. Is it just because he's black? No, I'm, I'm telling you that racist. That you, even in print, you're like they're the same thing. <laughs> no, he black does. people all look alike in print. <laughs> I, I'm, t- I'm telling you, he's, he mentions something about The Shining, and he says something about another boy. Maybe it's they're supposed to be related or something like that, but I swear to God there's a connection in that book. Uh, I'm just going to say it's because you're racist. Maybe. <laughs> Here, I'll even <laughs> click on related works, and all it says is the Talisman audiobook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I love the concept that Noah's just so racist that when he reads about <laughs> black characters, only one image shows up in his head. Please, 
These have a it's a always kind of dialect. It's just every black character in every book he's ever read, he's just walking along. It's Scanlon Crothers with a bucket of fried chicken and some grape drank. It's, it's like, wow, why does this game character keep showing up in all these different books? There's two of this guy in this book I'm reading. Damn Scatman Crothers, you is crazy. Uh, it's just he, he's just if there's two black characters in the same book his visual is just like Scatman Crothers but one's wearing like a blue shirt and one's wearing a red shirt <laughs> Noah racist literate <sighs> the only person who got more ignorant by reading <laughs> please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater and now folks it's time to say good night we sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.